Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, welcome to the Vineyard, everyone. Excited that you're here today. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to especially welcome you. You're coming in into a sermon series that we have been in for 48 weeks. I went back and looked to see exactly how many weeks. It's been 48 weeks today. We've been going through the book of Mark, and it has been quite a ride. Now, don't worry if you're just joining us today. We've designed this so whatever week you come, you can jump right in and not miss a beat. And then over the holiday, you can go back and binge watch all 48 messages. I want to encourage you to do that as well. It's like Netflix for the, you know, for the soul, something like that. Anyway, you also came in in the middle of something we call Be the Blessing. And every year, for the last several weeks of the year, usually right before Thanksgiving through the end of the year, we do a generosity initiative and we try to raise a bunch of money and volunteer a bunch of hours and do a bunch of good in our community and in our world. And every year our goal for fundraising has been $25,000 and we'll usually double that. Last year we almost tripled that. It's been it's an amazingly generous church and, and uh, we get to do a whole lot of really good things uh, in our community and in our world. We love that. Um, And uh, this year, uh, our goal went from $25,000 to $300,000, which in my mind is an impossible goal, but if we don't shoot for it, it's never going to happen. And we've already done a bunch of really, really good stuff so far. Our food team has cooked all the food for the winter freeze shelter for the homeless in Wheeling. And so all of that, a, a winter's worth of food has been cooked, frozen. It is in the popsicle factory as we speak, uh, or it's being fed to the homeless uh, as we speak. So way to go, food team. Cheryl Post and her whole team, amazing work, got all that done in a week. Two weeks ago, you guys brought in food for a food drive, and we uh, gathered so much food that it filled the truck. Literally, I went out um, on Monday to put a bag of food in the back of the truck and there was no place to put it. I had to close the back of the truck and put it on the seat next to me uh, to drive it over to the house of the carpenter where they have a food pantry and serve uh, folks who need food in our community. Uh, when I opened the back of the truck, it was so full, they were, their eyes got really big. They're like, we're going to need more people to help unload this. You guys, we collected three, almost three and a half tons of food that we dropped off there. So that has been done, checked off the list, way to go. Vineyard. Now, we have a bunch of volunteer opportunities uh, as well, and those are filling up pretty, pretty quick as well. Last time I looked, uh, we have, we're doing an after-school program, brand new um, kind of VBS for elementary school kids at Madison School on steroids, uh, Friday afternoons, and uh, there's still some volunteer opportunities there. Our mentoring program that we're starting up again in the new year, being paired with a a kid, uh, an at-risk kid, and building a relationship with them, coming in every other week for about an hour over the lunch hour, and, uh, and just pouring into their life. It's a great experience. I've done this 
uh, and everybody who has loved it, and it has a real impact on the kids. And so we have some spots available there, and we have a classroom mentor program that we're starting with Madison School this year, where you'll go in and not be paired with one kid, you'll be paired with a whole class. And again, that's an every other week thing. Go in, help the teacher, read to the kids, get to know them, and uh, the, the, the goal would be to move up with these kids as they go. And so if you've not volunteered yet, we still have some spots available, and we want to fill every one of those spots. So you can go to vineyardwheeling.com and just click on Be the Blessing and click on Volunteer, and those, those are all there in the descriptions and everything. Please, please, please volunteer for the Be the Blessing stuff, for the mentoring, the basketball camp, all of it. Volunteer. So uh, as I said at the beginning, our goal was to raise $300,000, and that was to to uh, feed kids on the streets of Costa Rica. That was for the food for the freeze shelter. That was, we had a whole list of things. There were bunches. You have to go back and watch that message. Um, but one of them was to establish a, uh, a Christ-centered uh, residential rehabilitation program for people dealing with addiction, uh, partnering with an organization called Hope Centers. And, uh, and that was the biggest part of the money that we were trying to raise because that was $260,000. And I threw it out there. I said, I think it's impossible, uh, it, it, but you know God can do anything. And so where we are with that right now is that if all the pledged money and pledged checks come in, we hit it. We're at $300,000. So way to go vineyard. We really need to celebrate that. And uh, boy, 2022 is going to be an amazing year. So much good stuff we get to do because, well, you guys are faithful and I love that. So anyway, way to go. All right. If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 15. Uh, we're almost done. We have two chapters to go in the book of Mark now. And uh, if you open up to Mark chapter 15, we're going to be at the very beginning. Uh, as Myron shared last week, uh, we're, we're in the last week of Jesus's life. And we've been on this for a while now. Jesus rides into town on Sunday, the Sunday before the Passover festival, the Sunday before he is crucified. He rides into town on a donkey uh, the people were yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, save now, save now. Uh, they really think that he is the Messiah, the, the, the rescuer who God was going to send to them. And they're declaring that as he's riding into town. Now that just happens to be Lamb Selection Day. So there's parallel things going on as Jesus comes into town. The people think that he is going to be some kind of military victor who's going to dominate and kick out Rome, right? That's what they want. That's their impression of this rescuer that God was going to send. Jesus comes in on Lamb Selection Day as they are declaring him the one that God was going to send, but he came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't come to dominate militarily. He came to die in our place because we all deserve death, and he would be a substitutionary death for us, to redeem us, buy us back, pay for our sins, and give us a relationship with God, which was all jacked up because of sin in our world. And so there's two different ideas about what's going on. There's God's idea, and then there's the people's idea. And, and it's not clear to, to the people that there's a difference. But Jesus rides into town. They make 
They make this huge ordeal about it. He walks into the temple, he looks around, and he leaves. Now, they fully expected him to come in, not go to the temple, go to the the governor's place or the, the seat of Roman power and kick them out. So it was a disappointing afternoon. He comes back the next day. He finds himself in a series of conversations with the religious leaders. Uh, they're trying to trap him. He's besting them at every turn, uh, and they can't trap him. Then we find out that Judas is going to betray him. We have the Last Supper. We end up in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is wrestling in prayer with God saying, come on, can we come up with another plan? He is, he is pleading his case to the father and the father's like, no, this is, this is what has to happen. Then he's arrested and then he is taken before a kangaroo court of uh, religious elites. The, the, the Sanhedrin was the court. It was made up of teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, just all these religious dudes. And, uh, and he has this, it's completely illegal. It happens at night, which is not legal by, by their laws. It, he doesn't, he's not given a defense attorney. That's not legal. And they bring in all these contradictory witnesses. And it's just, it's an, it, it's a nightmare. But at any rate, by the end of it, they decide that he needs to be executed. And now they take him to a guy named Pontius Pilate. And that's where we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. It says, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they found him guilty and they made their plans. He needs to die. Again, this had to happen at night. The reason they broke their own laws and did this in the middle of the night when nobody was around was because there were so many people who thought Jesus was the rescuer, the Messiah that God was going to send, that they would have a riot on their hands if they did this in the middle of the day. So they go, they arrest him at night, they do their little little uh, kangaroo court in the middle of the night, and, um, and they bind him and they decide that they're going to take him to Pilate. It says, so they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now, Pilate, or Pontius Pilate, as you may have, may have heard his name said before, he's the Roman governor. Now, the Romans occupy most of the known world at this point. They are, they are the, um, the empire, the evil empire that rules over all these other little countries. And they're very good at it. They have... Um, they, they set it up in such a way that each little area has its own semblance of, of a government, right? So like Judea has, where this is happening, has King Herod. And King Herod is a puppet king of Rome. And there's some things, he's got some power and he's got a little bit of luxury and he can do some things. But ultimate power lies with Rome. All, the religious leaders as well had some authority and had some semblance of power in this arrangement with Rome. But they could not, and neither could King Herod, nobody but Rome could sentence somebody to death. So when the religious leaders decided that Jesus deserved to die, that he needed to be executed, they could not do that and, and be legal. They had to get, convince Rome to do it. And so they take him to the Roman government, who is Pontius Pilate at this point in time. Now, they wanted Pilate to kill Jesus and the Romans were very good at killing. They had made an art of execution. Um, now, what you need to know about Pilate at this point in time is that Pilate didn't really want to be in Jerusalem. 
We know this because archaeologists have uncovered Pilate's house, and it's nowhere in, near Jerusalem. It's in a town called Caesarea over on the, on the shore. Jerusalem had a great deal of meaning to the Jews. It, it was the center of their religious and spiritual life, but it didn't mean anything to Caesar or to, uh, to Pontius Pilate. But he's in town for the festival because, well, everything is on edge at Passover. The city's full of millions of people. The, the celebration itself is a celebration of God liberating Israel from oppression. It's, it, it would be like us celebrating the 4th of July while we were, uh, we were oppressed and, and uh, dominated by another country that occupied us. It, it, it's along those lines. It's a very patriotic holiday. So everything's kind of at the boiling point. And, see, uh, and uh, Pontius Pilate's there to keep order, to make sure that nothing, nothing goes wrong. Verse 2, um, the, the religious leaders take Jesus to Pilate. They kind of get in his ear and say, he's done this, 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 and this. And then Pilate starts to question Jesus. And he says, are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Jesus answers very nonchalantly. He says, you, you've said so, Jesus replied. Now, this is interesting because this is a new charge. Nowhere, nowhere has Jesus been either claimed to be or been accused of being the king of the Jews. This is, this is kind of, I don't know, he's been accused of being a false Messiah. He claimed over 80 times in the book of Mark to be the son of man. He's kind of claimed that moniker for himself, hearkening back to the book of Daniel and the prophet of, of the, the rescuer who was to come. So he's claimed to be that, kind of claimed to be God, but he's never claimed to be the king of the Jews. And nobody's ever really accused him of that. But here's what happened. Pilate has no interest in a, somebody who claims to be God. It's like he's a crazy dude or, you know, whatever. This sounds like a religious matter. It's not, it's not any of his business. He doesn't really care. He's got more important things to take care of. He's got millions of people in the city of Jerusalem to, to keep under control. But he does have a direct interest in someone who claims to be king because Caesar is the only king or a puppet king that he put in place. But if Jesus claims to be king of the Jews, oh, we've got a problem now. We've got a, an issue. That's treason. So this is the angle that the religious leaders try to play with Pontius Pilate regarding Jesus. Well, it says the, the chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Why would Pilate be amazed? Why was, why was Pilate amazed by Jesus not answering? Well, first of all, I think we know from, as we'll read here in just a little bit, he could see right through the religious leaders. He could see that, this, that Jesus was an innocent man. He, he didn't deserve death. The, the religious leaders were, were jealous of Jesus. The crowds were following him. He was garnering power in this realm of, of faith and, and religion, and they were losing power and they needed to eliminate him. And so, so Pilate could see right through that. And in light of that, and in the face of that, Jesus isn't defending himself. And I don't think Pilate's ever experienced that before. By the time a case makes it to Pilate, 
The person is pleading for their life. They're pleading for their family's life. They are at the point of being crucified, which was the form of execution that the Romans uh, employed. And so to not be pleading for your life at that point, especially with crucifixion, I mean, crucifixion was absolutely brutal. Now, we think of crucifixion and we think of, you know, Jesus on the cross and maybe the, the criminals who were crucified with him. But in reality, thousands and thousands and thousands of people had been crucified. Crucifixion had been going on for multiple centuries. The Persians, the Carthaginians, the, the Macedonians all crucified people as a way to keep people under control, to scare them into being subdued. But the Romans had perfected crucifixion. And, and it was something that if you knew it was coming, you would do anything you can to get out of it. You would plead your case. But you see, with Jesus, he pled his case the night before in the garden to his father. A couple weeks back, we covered that where Jesus is sweating drops of blood. He is under such anguish and he's begging for his life. But at this point, he has already decided this is the road and the father had made clear this was the road and he had accepted that and he was not begging for his life. Pilate had never seen anybody do that before. You know, crucifixion was, um, well, it may, have been, it may be the most torturous form of execution and death ever invented. Um, the word excruciating comes from crucifixion, ex-crucifying, excruciating. And, and, uh, and it was humiliating. People were stripped bare and beaten within an inch of their life and hung on a cross, usually in a very public place, oftentimes along the side of the road so everybody could see the humiliation and the excruciation that that person was going through. We see Jesus, pictures of Jesus on a cross with a loincloth. There were no loincloths, they were naked. They were humiliated and they were in excruciating pain for hours or even days sometimes. And here's Jesus going, well, you said so. You know, he's not, he's not begging for his life because he had already done that with the real judge of the universe, his heavenly father. Well, in verse six, it says, now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Now, we don't know a lot about the uprising, but we know there it was a group of people who uh, basically operated like insurrectionists. They, uh, they were called zealots. Um, there were different groups, and um, they had sworn an oath to one another to kill as many Romans as they could, to throw off Roman oppression. And they were, they were known to go into these festivals like a Passover festival when it's wall-to-wall people with long knives hidden under their garments and then sneak up next to a Roman soldier, a Roman official, or maybe a tax collector, a, a Jewish person who had sold out to the Romans and shank them and just kill them and then blend back into the crowd. And they would, this was a common occurrence. The historian Josephus of that time just called them murderers, um, but they, were, they would have called themselves freedom fighters. So Barabbas, this guy Barabbas is in jail. He's waiting 
to be crucified with some other people who have done the same thing. And Barabbas, and if, if you think about it, in some ways, Barabbas had done what the people wanted Jesus to do. He'd killed some Romans. He'd made, taken some ground in, in, the, in the fight for their liberation. Well, it says in verse 8, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did to release a prisoner. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? This is kind of tongue-in-cheek. He knows that Jesus isn't the king of the Jews, but he's like, you know, well, we'll go with it. He asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Now, this is, I, I think this is fascinating. The religious leaders were the culture shapers of Jesus's day. They were the, there, there wasn't social media, there wasn't media, there wasn't, wasn't um, you know, a Hollywood class, you know, influencing culture. The culture influencers, the culture steers of that day were the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those guys. And they, in the midst of some dissatisfaction with Jesus, right? There's just a little bit of why isn't he leading this revolution that we expected him to on Sunday when we yelled Hosanna and all of that. They, they turned that little seed of discontent, that little bit of disappointment like, Jesus, you're not doing what I thought you would do. And they grabbed that and they fanned it into a flame of outrage against him. And they start yelling, crucify him as we're about to read. Now, this is, I just find this fascinating because the crowd probably would not have done that, but they were played. They were played by the influencers and they didn't even know it to demand that Jesus be crucified. Now, guys, just a little modern day parallel. This is the same thing that happens to us today. We are just as susceptible to being played by influencers. Now, our influencers are different. We have social media influencers. We've got our media, our entertainment uh, class, and, and, and others throughout our culture who influence us, who get in our heads and grab a little bit of disc, discontent and, and fan it into a flame of outrage, who, who divide us and play both sides against the middle or against one another. And in so many ways... I think one of the things we can learn from this passage is to just not be played. Don't be played because we are being played into a culture of outrage. Now, the other side of this, and I already touched on this a little bit, is that the crowd was a little frustrated with Jesus not doing what they expected Jesus to do, right? It, 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 I think... In our situation, sometimes when Jesus doesn't answer the prayer that we prayed the way we wanted him to answer the prayer that we prayed, we can get a little bit of fr frustrated or disappointed or disillusioned. And that opens us up to be played by the enemy who will come in and try and influence you to yell for the crucifixion of Jesus, to turn against him. Jesus wasn't giving the crowd what they wanted. Six days ago, he rides into town. And they're screaming, save now, and singing, singing songs from their, their sacred scriptures about the Messiah to him as he rides in and throwing down palm branches and all of that. But it was becoming clear that Jesus wasn't coming through. He wasn't going to kill 
the Romans. He wasn't going to kick the Romans out. And in fact, he had been arrested and subdued and beaten, and now he's just kind of this meek guy, and they're, they're frustrated. But Barabbas, well, at least Barabbas had killed a few Romans, you know? I mean, he, he, got, something, he got something done in that direction. Jesus hadn't gotten anything done in that direction, at least as far as they could see. Now, Barabbas, in my opinion, uh, is a weak substitute for Jesus. Very weak substitute for Jesus. Kind of like that, that thing that, that, that gives you a little satisfaction but won't really solve your, your big problem. Barabbas, interestingly enough, his name, Barabbas, means, Bar means son of. There's a guy in, in the book of Acts named Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. Bar Abbas is Bar Abba, son of the father. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is the son of man, the son of God. It's, it's really close. Not quite the same, but it's close. It's a weak substitute. It sounds good. And he kind of did what they wanted. He killed some Romans, right? There's a little bit of satisfaction there. But the problem... The problem is that Barabbas would never defeat the Romans, never would. He might kill a few more, but he would never save Israel, and Jesus would. The pro but it's not going to look anything like their preconceived notions. And so it's just enough confusion, disillusionment, whatever, not trusting Jesus enough to get in there and turn them against Jesus. Guys, this happens to us so often where we will trade Jesus for a weak substitute, where we will get frustrated with something in our life that doesn't, doesn't go the way we wanted it to. Jesus doesn't answer that prayer. There's, uh, he doesn't perform. There's a, yeah, we don't get what we wanted. And we go, well, this is the way you're going to treat And we just get frustrated in that moment. And it's very easy to just say, well, at least I can get a little bit of satisfaction over here in this weak substitute. Oh, that weak substitute is not going to solve my bigger problem, but at least it'll get me through the night, right? It, it'll distract me for a little while. It's a great release, an escape, a diversion. But ultimately, it'll leave you where you started broken and empty. You know, so, so often that's sin that we go after and, and sin, well, sin's fun. Sin, uh, sin is, is gratifying for a little while. Um, it's a great distraction, often a great release. It'll distract you for a while and, and, uh, you get a little satisfaction along the way, but eventually it will destroy you. It will leave you empty. It will leave you on the wrong side of God. It'll steal from you everything that matters in your life. And if we've learned anything over the last 48 weeks, we've learned from Jesus, and he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing us to make a decision, whether he is king, Lord, whether, whether he is totally in charge, whether we totally surrender to him, or he's nothing. You know, not, well... I, I kind of believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I got these parts of my life that get me through the night, that are weak substitutes. 
And unfortunately, so many people in this modern age think that, well, if I just believe that Jesus was, was the Son of God and died for my sins, it doesn't matter what else I do. I can live any way I want. I can, I can, I can have my weak substitutes on the side because he's got to forgive me. Jesus' half-brother, James, said this about believing the right things. In James chapter 2, verse 19, he said, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. In other words, the demons, aren't, the demons are not saved. They're not in right relationship with God. They're not going to heaven. None of that. They believe the right things. And we think, well, if I believe that Jesus died on the cross, then it doesn't matter how I live. But Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. Now, he invites us, he invites you to lose your life so that you can find your life, to die to yourself, to surrender to him as king. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect and that we're not going to stumble and we're not going to need forgiveness along the way. We absolutely will. But have you declared Jesus king? Or are you settling for weak substitutes like Barabbas? So often we settle for self-medicating and feeling good for the moment. And we figure, well, Jesus has to forgive me in the end. He didn't die on the cross for that. He died on the cross for you, and he invites you to follow him. When well, verse 12, it goes on, it says, What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Now, I love the logic here. This is like arguing with a toddler, right? There is no logic. They're not even trying to be logical. They're just yelling louder, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the louder they, they yell, the more they get what they want. And guys, is this not where our culture is today? Those who, who yell the loudest, those who make the most outrageous accusations somehow win in our culture, we act like a bunch of toddlers who yell louder, we don't think rationally, and we just wear down our parents to get what we want. And, and you know, Pilate gives in to it. It actually worked, and it will work short-term, long-term. It's not a great way to go. And let me just caution us. Don't act like a spoiled child. Don't act like a spoiled child. Jesus calls us to grow up. Don't act like a spoiled child. And don't give in to the mob when they just yell louder. Well, it says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Those are five words that will destroy your life. Pilate was like, I just need to kind of go along to get along here. I don't want to get stuck in Jerusalem forever, and I can't really afford to have a mess on my hands here. So I'm going to protect my career. I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to give these people what they want, and we are, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this festival so that I can eventually get out of this part of the world. 
Guys, when we want to please the crowd more than we want to please Christ, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Many of us have natural people-pleasing tendencies. And in order to please the crowd, in order to please my kids, in order to please my boss, in order to please sometimes willing or at least tempted to do the wrong thing. Pilate certainly was. He knew Jesus was innocent. But he wanted to please the crowd. Let me ask you, what area of your life are you susceptible towards people-pleasing, towards crowd-pleasing? It's not a good way to go. You know, the thing about Barabbas, he had an amazing day. He was sitting there waiting (laughs) to be crucified. And he got a pardon. He won the lottery. And in so many ways, his story is our story. His story is your story. He deserved condemnation, and he got a pardon. He deserved death. He was given life. And we don't know what he did with that gift. We don't know. He had a choice. I guarantee he he could make a change and follow Jesus, which would have been a very different direction from the one he was going in. Or he could have gone back to what he was doing, up his body count, which is different back then than it is today. The body count was the number of people he killed. Before he would eventually be killed and condemned. And guys, we have the same choice. We all have the same choice. We all won the lottery because Jesus didn't just stand in for Barabbas that day. He stood in for every one of us. He stood in for you. He died in your place. He paid for your crimes. And you have a choice. Do you make a change and follow this man who loved you enough to die for you? This man who came so that you could have life in the fullness. And do you trust him and follow him? Or do you go out and do you again and end up in the same place you were. That's the choice every one of us has. And the good news of this holiday season, and the good news, you know, we're celebrating Christmas this week and the birth of Christ, but the birth of Christ is really about this. This is what he came to do. This is why he was born, to die in your place so that you can have life in all of its fullness. And he asks that you turn to him, that you follow him, that you make him king of your life. And I want to give us a chance to do that. So wherever you're sitting, just close your eyes. And if you want to follow Jesus today, if you're done with the cheap substitutes, if you're done, if you're done, you're just done. It's time to follow Jesus. Pray something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that my sin was paid for on the cross that day. And I want to to follow you. I, I want you to be the Lord of my life, the king of my life. Help me to do that. Come and live in my life, in my heart. Be my Lord and Savior.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.